You're listening to Food for Thought, the OFM podcast, brought to you by Vespa. Hi, welcome to Food for Thought, the OFM podcast. I'm your host, Peter Defty, and today's podcast is a conversation with the famous Jeff Browning. I mean, just think about it. Um, I get to hang with Jeff Browning tonight, as Jen likes to say. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank, thanks, Peter. Happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. Um, good to have you on. And we also have on Mark Sanderson. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Peter. Hey, Jeff. Hey, hey, Mark. How you doing? Okay, good. so so today's show is going to be a, is an interesting concept I came up with because um, Jeff and Mark recently ran the bear 100 and uh for all you ultra trail mountain runners out there who follow the scene and follow jeff um jeff won the event in pretty good time i think 18 hours and change 1906 1906 so yeah 18 hours plus a lot of change Uh, (laughs) and um and it was, but it was quite one of the most memorable bears. And it really was a bear if you weren't Jeff Browning. We'll, we'll dive into that a little bit uh, sooner. But we also had Mark who also ran the bear. And uh, you took, you got your money's worth, right, Mark? You paid for 30, you paid for 36 hours and you got every bit of it. I, I actually did. <laughs> okay. What a day. Yeah. So th- what we're trying to do is, is give that perspective of the, from, from the view of the race from the front of the pack all the way to the back. And, and Jeff, you also had some athletes you coached that were probably spread out through the field as well, then, didn't you? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So, so I think this is really good because, you know, a lot of the attention has been put on, um, is always put on the elites and, and their performances, but as we all know, um, we all have this perspective of what's it like at the back. And uh, let's just kind of dive in. Um, and first, um, since everybody knows who Jeff Browning is, because Jeff Browning's the famous Bronco Billy, and I'm not trying to jack you up too much here, Jeff. I'm just having fun with it. The way <laughs> no Jen, problem. We, the, the way Jen and I were having fun with you when we were hanging out at your place in Logan. <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, Mark, uh, I'd like you to kind of give a, a synopsis of who you are and tell us about your story because you've got a you also have a pretty long history in ultra running and have run several hundreds, and this was your first hundred uh, in a while. So I'm not going to spill the beans on this. So why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, thanks, Peter. Yeah, my history is. Um starting out as just a the street the marathon runner wanting to be that guy that just gets into shape stays in shape enjoys running um i've done a whole bunch of marathons um that led me up to jumping into the ultra scene a need to challenge myself find longer distances get off the asphalt actually and up into the trails and so i jumped into the squat peak 50 miler as my first race and and you live in Salt Lake City, uh, Utah, correct? Yeah, just south of Salt Lake in Utah County. Um, after that first 50-miler... 
I mean, I ran it like a marathon. And so, of course, I thought I was going to die. Okay, when was that? What year was that? That was in 2001. I started running marathons in 1992. St. George was my first marathon. Oh, you just ran it again. Yeah, I just actually finished my 28th consecutive St. George in October. So I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, cool. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, and that, um, that was a week week or two weeks after Bear. That was the week after the Bear. <laughs> yeah, but it was a slow goer. It was just a just a finish. I actually have a PR at St. George of two thirty eight oh seven. Wow. That was a long time ago. So, so nice. you're a pretty serious um, runner. Well, I did a lot of that was being my PR. I did a lot of the two forties, two forty one, two forty two, but. And I, yeah, once I jumped into the ultra scene, the 50 milers, and then my first Wasatch, um, I really significantly slowed down. Different training and just different overall goals. What, what, was, what year did you do your first Wasatch uh, 100? My first Wasatch was in 2003. And I actually ran it not knowing him how to run a hundred miler. And I had a, I had an okay time. I ran 26 hours. Um, and again, thought I was going to die. Said I'd never do another one. And then 2,200 later, here I sit. <laughs> now, how many hundreds, have you you, know, uh, how many hundreds have you done? Cause you've done several. You said I've you... done. Yeah, I've done 22. Wow. Well, you said you've done a couple 19 hour ones. So you you kind of know what it's like to go fast too. Yeah, after that first Wasatch 100 for me, I jumped right into the Grand Slam of ultra running, and that's when I ran 19 hours at Vermont, 23 hours at uh, Western States, and then I wanted to break 24 at Leadville and ended up running 26, and then followed it up with the Wasatch at 28, and. Yeah, and that's that. I was hooked after that. What year? What year, Mark? Was the that Grand Slam? That was in two thousand and four. We were at Wasatch together then. I ran my I ran my second hundred was Wasatch in two thousand four. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So you guys, what did you what did you run it in, Jeff? That that. Uh, two thousand four. I think I ran twenty three thirty two. Oh wow, that's great. That's a that's a tough race, isn't it, you guys? It is. Oh my gosh, I think it's hard. Yeah, especially the old course. So Peter, after um you know, I just stayed I was a firefighter, retired fire chief went back to nursing school. And so I've always been in a, a career where I wanted to stay fit, set an example, challenge myself. And I've, I think I've run, I want to say 280, 290 total races between marathons and ultras. But in December of 2016, I was diagnosed with mantle cell lymphoma, a blood cancer that um, I just happened to be working in a hospital and had a routine scan done. And because I worked there, I was able to walk over into radiology, start flipping through my slides and found this mass in my chest that's not supposed to be there. And in a matter of two weeks, 
just with your uh, physician contacts and knowing who you know, I was diagnosed and off for chemotherapy and a stem cell transplant. So that significantly changed my not only outlook on life, um, but just goals and future and the unknown. It was really scary time. Wow. Yeah, that's got to be scary. And you thought you were being pretty healthy running all these ultras, I imagine. Yeah, and yeah, I'd lived healthy. I'd exercised. I'd eaten right and done all the things you think you're supposed to be doing. And uh, yeah, out of the blue, no symptoms, asymptomatic. You get this stage four mantle cell diagnosis. And I mean, anytime you read about it, there's nothing positive posted. And so the next six months, yeah, it was really an unknown. Now, uh, um, now, uh, what was your diet like at that time? Like when you were running these ultras, were you, were you doing the old school ultra thing where you just ate a lot? I mean, you ate yeah, reasonably it, healthy, but yeah. ate a lot. Yeah, I, I way over ate. And it's kind of funny because I always, um, I justified the pizza, the tacos, the extra calories because I was running. Um, and little did I know, it just, I was burning the calories, but I don't necessarily know the calories I were eating was helping me in my overall health and fitness. So, so you didn't have like, did you have like stomach issues or, or energy issues at that point or anything else that was popping up? Like, you know, uh, you know, like Jeff, he started to have the GI stuff going on. You, you know, it sounds like you got the lymphoma, but were you just kind of motoring along at that point? Yeah. The longer races, the, I mean, 50, I didn't ever have trouble on the marathons, but a 50 mile race or a hundred mile race, I was, you know, the last 30 miles suffering all the, the GI upset, vomiting, diarrhea, just sick. Okay. All right, cool. Um, all right, so where do you guys want to start with this year's bear? Um, Je Jeff, why don't you preface it? Because you kind—I kind of want the audience to hear from you about it because you knew you, you know your biggest goal was outrunning the weather, right? Yeah, I mean, once we got a forecast, you know, right before the race, uh, I knew the—I knew the weather was supposed to come in, mid, you know, around the middle of the night. Uh, the forecast was like midnight Friday night. Uh, it was supposed to turn and tor turn for the worst. And my goal was to run, you know, I'd run 1828 or 1832. I can't remember something like that, uh, in 2017. So I, I knew I wanted to run somewhere around 18, 19 hours and, uh, depending on conditions. And there was some rain the week of the race. And so the, there was some mud on the course and I knew, it probably wasn't as dry as fast as 2017. Uh, and I didn't have, I potentially didn't have the competition that I had in 2017, which um, I had, you know, uh, Mark Hammond was in it. And so was Timmy Olsen and a couple other guys that were fast. And I, that pushed us early and, and pushed us late. Um, Cause I didn't take the lead in 2017 until mile 75 uh, from Mark. And, uh, and so I ended up running kind of in the lead from 20, I don't know, around 20 miles, 21 miles, uh, 
I, I kind of, from, uh, uh, from Lethem Hollow, I kind of took the lead and I was in the lead the rest of the day. Um, I knew someone wasn't too far back. I had crew and he was keeping tabs on second. They were 15 or 20 minutes back in the first half. And then I slowly was increasing my lead by 75. Um, so I was pretty, had a pretty good little padding by 75 and, um, the biggest concern was the storm coming. So I had beautiful weather and I, I know a lot of people were calling this year's bear, uh, bipolar bear because it was so <laughs> extremely different on Friday compared to Saturday. So Friday we had a little bit of lingering weather in the morning and isolated showers here and there that were kind of on their way out. Um, cause it rained the night before the race a little bit and, but it kind of cleared off and was bluebird sky and beautiful and perfect weather all day on Friday. And, um, I had, you know, just some muddy sections left over from the previous rains, um, but nothing crazy. Uh, and so I had dry trails and, and for me, I, I got to maybe the last downhill, it started sprinkling on me a little bit. Um, it didn't really start raining until after I was sitting under a tent at the finish line, about 45 minutes after I finished, it really started to actively rain at Bear Lake at the finish line. So, um, yeah, for me, I was just, you know, more motivation was to outrun the storm than anything. And, um, I guess from everyone I talked to, uh, my athletes, I had a really good friend from Bozeman that was running and, um, you know, he was on sub 24 hour pace to 75 when the rain hit at 75 and he ended up running 26 something. So it really, he really slowed down with the temp, with the, with the, you know, the temperatures dropped, they had snow flurries, I think some sleet, some hail, rain, mud, I mean, really bad mud. And the mud there gets bad and the, you know, that when that dirt, it has some clay in it and it gets, just gets slimy. Uh, so I was pretty fortunate actually to outrun, outrun all that. Now, how, how did you feel Jeff, as far as, you know, you run a lot of hundreds and, uh, uh, of course you ran the Western States track races this year when, where the top 10 all finished under 16 hours. So how'd that feel as, as hundreds go the, you know, you're, yeah. you're, you're, yeah, I mean, I felt, I felt great. I, I, you know, it was smooth all day. I didn't really have any major lows or, um, you know, that, that was my 30, 3800. So it's just kind of like another day at the office, like Carl Meltzer always says. So, um, I just, I just felt no, you know, I just kind of cruised along, ran, did my thing. And, um, I pushed a few times in the night. I did think that someone was going to catch me at 85. Um, that got me a little motivated and it actually ended up being mountain bikers that were on the course with headlamps on. And, um, at 85, I was sitting in a chair, uh, just grabbing my stuff and like switching out nutrition stuff with my crew. And, uh, uh, someone yelled runners and I saw two headlamps and I thought runner and pacer. And so I just took off and I ran hard to the last aid station. And then, Got to the last day station, my crew was there, and he was like, uh, that was mountain bikers. And I was like, <laughs> oh, thank God. Um, so, you know, I, I pretty much just kind of cruised all day, and um, the only time I really pushed hard, you know, was that, that section from 85 to 92. 
Um, the rest of the time, I just kind of cruised it in. Um, I knew, you know, early on, I wanted the course record, which is like 1752. But I knew about halfway that I just wasn't in, I wasn't on that kind of pace. And so it definitely took a little fire out of me, but I had a, and, and I had a decent lead. So at that point, I just wanted to maintain and get the win because uh, I knew I wasn't going to get the course record. Um, so I just kind of cruised it in and I, I lost a little motivation in the last you know, 30 miles, probably just because I was running solo and knew I had a good lead. Yeah, it sounds like you, you really you made that lead pretty big in that uh, little section where you ran like heck. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I, I put a little more time onto those guys. and But, you know, the guys in the second and third, to their credit, they they were kind of, re they were really close to each other, so they could see each other, like their headlamps. So they were pretty motivated. They actually closed a little on me in the last 10 miles just because they were racing each other for second. And I think they ended up being only a few minutes apart or five minutes apart or something. Less than I think it was less than 10 minutes. So they were pretty close to each other and... and you know, they came hauling in at the end. I mean, I think they were 30 minutes back or something, but um, I think I had 45 minutes on them at, or 40 minutes on them at 75. So they did come back maybe 10 minutes uh, in that last 25. But, um, you know, I was running and I was definitely checking over my shoulder with like, you know, do I see lights? Do I see lights? Um, um, and I was, I think I was pretty safe. Yeah. And, um, is that was that your second hundred of the year, and you're you're coming uh, coming up on your last one? Is this are you doing three hundreds this year? No, that was my more? third hundred of the year. I did Tarawara hundred early in February. Oh, that's right. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, and then yeah, in Western States, and then Hard Rock got canceled, so um, I threw in another November hundred coming up, one in Alabama. So that'll be my fourth one of the year. Um, I, pr I try to do four a year. You know, I just like hundreds. <laughs> Um, well, you're, you're certainly really good at them. And now, uh, what's the deal you're closing in on, uh, yes. Yeah, tell us the yeah, thing, yeah, Ann Trayson's Yeah, I'm, I'm closing in on Ann Trayson's all time hundred mile wins. Um, you know, Carl's untouchable. I think he has 41 or something like that. He, he's like, he's way out there. Um, I have 20 and Ann has 22. So I'm, She's my, she, I got my sights on Ann's record and to move into second overall for hundred mile wins in the world. So, uh, that's kind of a big career milestone for me. You know, I'm getting up there in age. So, uh, I definitely am looking forward to getting a couple more wins under my belt just to get up, move into second. But, but you're feeling good, right? You're feeling good. Your running's going well, no injuries. Yeah, I feel great. I mean, you know, other than like stupid things like rolled an ankle recently, but not horribly, but enough to have a sore ankle for a few weeks, um, you know, in training. But, you know, other than that, I feel great. You know, I've, I'm healthy as ever. And I've had, I've had, uh, I've done some, in, a couple of inside tracker tests in the last couple of years and all my numbers look good. So, um, yeah, I'm just plugging away. All right. Well, let's turn the, the talk over to Mark here. Mark, uh, uh, Jeff kind of prefaced a little bit about what it was really like for everybody else, everybody else but Jeff Browning and maybe second and third place. Um, why don't you give us your version of, of Bear? Well, I can tell you that if I had seen 
any one of those bikers Jeff talked about, I would have knocked them off their bike <laughs> and rode for the finish line like mad because it was it was amazing. I mean, I've never I've never run even training in those kind of conditions, um, and it hit me probably about mile fifty is when the storm settled for us. We were uh, I was running with a buddy. Robbie Azabel and we our goal was to we figured we could break 30 hours this was my first 100 back after chemo treatment I'd finished 10 finishes at Wasatch in 2015 and then taken a year off then got diagnosed and so my goal was once I got better is to run another 100 and so the bear just happened to be it and yeah I definitely got my money's worth like we talked about however it was probably twofold for me one of the funnest races being there um just being recovered from cancer and on the mend but also running with my friend and also in those kind of conditions where i've always had that mentality of i'm getting to the finish and luckily we gave ourselves enough time that we slowed down from a sub 30 to 34 and a half where I've never pushed cutoffs. I've never been, I've always been that middle of the pack guy, but the conditions here, there were some points where we were in mud up to our shins, almost like I was praying that sticky clay mud didn't pull my shoe off. Cause I wouldn't have found it. It was that buried in some sections. Wow. Um, luckily, luckily I was, I was dressed with the, uh, proper rain gear and so i i stayed warm and it was just a matter of knowing and hearing at every aid station how many people were dropping that motivated me to make sure that i got to the finish regardless and that's what it was it was just a a wet muddy slimy we had snow we were in the clouds sleet and just a trudge to the finish that's a, I, I, I can't even imagine shin deep. <laughs> That's I good job. Like I I I said something at the awards ceremony uh when we accepted our awards and I just said, you know, good job everybody like like getting it done, the people who finished like cuz cuz that's it the biggest part is in when it turns into something like that is is it's so mental just to keep keep moving and also like some experience comes into play because one of my athletes ended up dropping because she was hypothermic, you know, just didn't have all the right gear. And, and sometimes when you have all the, I mean, she had waterproof gear, but she was, you know, there was definitely, she was wet and she didn't have waterproof gloves. And so things, little things that just caught up. Um, and I think, you know, that's where some experience comes into play. Definitely where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm dry at least. And I'm warm and I just have to keep moving. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, yeah, we debriefed, it, we and, debriefed pretty extensively on that, Mark. Don't you remember? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. but And, you know, the craziest thing was is when you sent me one of the Facebook pictures of Jeff and where he was at probably the last 10 miles and or 12 miles, and it was 
sunny and clear. <laughs> and then I, and then I got a picture of the shit I had to go through. And I'm like, I got to run faster. I got to call Jeff. He's got to hook me up with some kind of plan because <laughs> this 34 hours, man, it worked me. Yeah, sometimes there's a benefit Amazing. to running fast. That's for sure. Oh, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but didn't the you... One s- thing, the one thing... Go ahead, Peter. Oh, you didn't you say that in that... I, I've, I've never been to the bear, but I heard the last several miles is downhill. And you said you guys, it was so slippery. You guys were doing like one mile an hour. Well, I even had poles. This was the first time I've never used trekking poles. I was so grateful that I actually took them because even on the flat, the clay and the mud was so slick that in sections where I was walking, I was sliding from side to side. I, 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 yeah. I don't know how I would have done it without poles. It was it was just crazy. <laughs> and then and then coming off the hill to that last it yeah, I I'll have to send you some pictures that you can post because it's unbelievable. Well, you sent me some video clips off to find them if you can resend those to me because they were pretty pretty hilarious. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It, it was and it all it because we because we stayed hydrated, because we maintained our calories, thank goodness for Vespa um, being a product that I'm using now. I stayed in good spirits. I never had the I never had the downs that I've had in all of my other races. Even 50 miles, you you go through those lows, and especially at Wasatch and the other hundreds I've done. This was just a different year for for a couple of different reasons, and it was uh, memorable to say the least. Yeah, well, let's talk about that, guys, both of you. I mean, um, uh, you know, that's what we're all doing here is trying to optimize our fat metabolism. And, and um, Mark, I guess with your story, um, you know, it's it's been a pretty, pretty good tool for your uh, comeback. Yeah, you know, going through my treatments, I mean, I always ran 170, 168, 170. Um, I got sick. Unlike a lot of cancer patients, lose a lot of weight. I did just the opposite. I mean, I hit 194 at my heaviest, and um, even the the entire year following um, that stem cell transplant, I was back running. I mean, I did a at least a marathon a month trying to get back into shape, and I couldn't drop I couldn't drop a pound, and I. I felt like I was eating better, um, but I needed something. And it was crazy when I finally committed to the bear. You were the first person that popped in my mind from five, six years ago of just making contact and trying best before the Squaw Peak 100 over the course of a couple of different races. And just remembering using that product. Um, the lack of calories that I needed to consume during the race. And I just thought, you know what, if, if anybody can help me right now, I've got to reach out to Peter because I mean, I'm, I'm out of options. I'm, I'm, I'm training, I'm exercising and I just needed some help. And so over the course of the last, you know, four months, I've dropped 25 pounds. Um, I've done a, I finished the bear on minimal calories um, of intake during the race, 
no GI problems, no ups and downs. It was, it's just been almost, uh, yeah, life changing for me trying to get back into shape to where I can do what I love to do. Now, is that, is, did you just make the shift you said four months ago, Mark? Yeah, I want to say it was June, so June or July. Okay. So I had a couple of months of prep prior to the barrel. Okay, so you did. So did, did you do the full like phase one keto reset, and then kind of brought back strategic carbohydrates and. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Yeah, we did out the whole supplementation and everything else. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So my, I'm I'm and now I, on five, for almost four years, I guess. Wow. 2016, 2017, 18, 19. This yeah. is this is the end. It, December first will be f- exactly four year anniversary. That's amazing. Well, I I view it now. I mean, my wife is uh, supportive, obviously, of the uh, the diet, if you want to call it a diet, just to change in our eating habits. Yep. Um, it, it's a it's a lifestyle change, and it's for me. Well, we tried the fad diets. I've got a family that yo-yos in weight, and anybody can lose weight on crash diets or or the gimmick. But you know, it's just I found it just not sustainable. Um, but this is something that is uh, it's you can you can still have a life. You can still food is so much a part of our life. No matter what we do, there's some form of food involved, and I just find it a, a realistic option to be healthier and I'm much more healthy or much more conscious of my health having gone through my treatment. Yeah, I I have had the same experience and that's one of the reasons that I've kept doing it for so long. It's kind of that lifestyle change has become a lifestyle habit and that habit, it keeps me on it because when I have gone back to kind of ever tried eating my old ways again, I just don't feel good. I feel inflamed. I feel bloated. I don't feel like healthy. Um, it it kind of gives you a new. I've always said, and this is what I say to all the athletes I coach in it, um, that I feel like you have a new level of clean or a new set point, and your perspective's totally different than it used to be. And then all of a sudden, you're like, "Well, I'm not supposed to feel like that, but I was. I accepted that feeling bloated and inflamed." Uh, I notice it now and before I just kind of lived with it and thought it was normal and, and thought it was part of ultras, you know, like, Oh, I, I always get this swollen after hundreds, you know, I did 22 hundreds on a high carb diet and uh, kind of a traditional, I mean, I did a whole foods organic diet at the time for like over a decade, um, and still was inflamed. So, um, I ate clean and healthy by everyone's standards, but uh, it definitely changed mine too. I even changed my, I lost, you know, I was at, 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 when I did it, I was at, you know, at an elite level and, and weight wise would be considered, well, I wasn't like overweight or anything, but I always had that little bit around my waist, about my midsection that I couldn't quite get rid of all the way, especially once I hit my forties, it, it was harder to get that little bit left. And I lost, I lost 5% of my body weight, um, making the shift, you know, so I got, I lost eight pounds. And I was already lean and, and, yeah. and fit. So um, it was a life changer for me as well. I, I think it was one of those few aha moments in life for me, at least. 
Yeah, you know, the one of the pictures yeah, that really does it for me, Jeff, is that one you where you posed with the Maoris at Tarawera. Yeah. At at the right at the finish. And I mean, everybody's, you know, pumping their, their arms and kind of trying to make their muscles show and you look by far the leanest guy there. Yeah, I and, and I also, you know, I definitely do use use like you know, keto as a tool. And I use it before the race, you know, to really get like lean myself up into race weight. Um, you know, I have a race a week from Friday, so I'm, I just kicked off a keto phase today. So I'll do a seven day keto reset kind of this week while I'm in the starting the taper. And, um, I'll always lose, like, I'll come into this coming out of a big block where I've had a little more carbs and because I've, my volume's been up and, um, you know, I'm probably more hundred grams, 150 grams of carbs a day. Um, through this last two or three weeks and I always come in a little heavy after that big block you know I'm probably I race at about 138 137 138 and I'm about 142 143 right now but by the end by next week the week of the race I'll be back down in the 130s and uh, lean and I'll, all that I'll lose a little bit of water weight I'll lose a little bit of weight and um, be all cut up and ready to race and for me, it, I just feel so much better. Oh yeah. Amen. To um, that. And it, and it's, and it's hard to, de- it's really hard to describe. Well, that's, that's part of the problem. Problem is like, I tell people what, what you notice is what you don't notice. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I think yeah. you, I, one of the things I really notice on this is the recovery. Like the recovery benefit is, is huge. Like people I coach in it, I always tell them, you know, because Zach Bitter told me this when I first did the first hundred miler on this, di- on this di- after this dietary shift and doing OFM, um, he just said, get ready for the recovery. It'll blow your mind. Well, I just said, yeah, yeah. You know, to my, in my head, I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, I didn't quite buy into it that deep yet. And, uh, cause I was only seven weeks in on my first hundred. I, I mean, I went really strict for seven weeks. Peter helped me, Zach helped me and, and, I immediately <laughs> shot him an email after the, or a text after the race and was like, dude, you're totally right. Like I was doing air squats. I was doing jumps. I was like, oh my gosh, I've never, I was taking pictures of my knees and my ankles and texting them to my wife because I was like, look how I'm not swollen like I normally am. Um, I mean, I had some micro swelling, you know, but it, it was because it's a super technical race, hurt 100. But, you know, like I, I just was like, I, I was dumbfounded at how quickly I recovered and and how much how much less swelling I had overall, you know, systemically. So I think that was a huge aha moment immediately after seven weeks, and and that just got got me like more on my radar. Like, oh man, this thing works. Like I, I need to do this, and I just kept doing it. And I was already, you know, I think that year, 2016, I ran 400s that year. So, you know, I had the same every single time had the same exact, uh, experience. So it was like, wow, I really recover fast. And, and normally it was super beat up after hundreds. So, um, it really did, um, for me, it was a huge performance enhancer. I mean, I was running faster. I was running leaner. My strength to weight ratio went up. You know, I was taking less calories per hour, which means I had to carry less. It also meant I had less, I had no GI stress. I wasn't having bonks anymore. And I always fought a bonk or two, always in a hundred, even when I ran fast. 
and, and, and felt like I ran a good race. It was always like one little spot or two little spots during the race. Like, ah, if I would have nailed that, I would have run faster. And I, I just find that I just don't have those anymore. Yeah. And, and just uh, for the audience to know the the recovery thing isn't really so much that you recover faster. It's really because you haven't done the damage in the first place. Right. You know, Jeff, and go ahead, Mark. I was just going to say, you just consider the, the, the guys like me, the middle packers, back of the packers that are spending eight, 10, 12, 14 hours out on the course longer than Jeff, a little overweight. That recovery is that much more important or the, the lack of damage that we're doing because we're out there so much longer. It, it definitely, you're back to running the next week, which is unbelievable. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, your case, I mean, because the conditions got bad on you, I mean, effectively a lot of the field at bear took twice the time Jeff did. I mean, I'm sure, cause it sounded like, like from what I could see from the finish rate, it, it, most of the people were coming, you know, in the 30 hour mark. Oh yeah, like, for sure. It slowed everyone down by hours. Yeah. And the further out you were, the, 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 the more it slowed you down. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we can see how this and Jeff, it just to, I just wanted to go off on a little tangent when you said you didn't bonk. I mean, give us a quick synopsis of Western States this year from Forest Hill Inn, because you said you ran some that was just like scary fast. I mean, you were you were pushing your envelope into that, you know, red zone and, and you held up. That was pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh... Uh, I was the la out of the top 10, I was the last person to leave Forest Hill and I ran the fastest split of the, of the top 10, um, and from Forest Hill to the finish. So the last 37 miles and change. Uh, I mean, it was, I ran it in five forty-three, five hours and 43 minutes for 37 oh, something. Um, and, and, to, and that was, and let me interrupt there. That was with Jared and Jim racing each other at the front. Yeah, exactly. Um, actually, to, to give you a quick, quick breakdown of like me, uh, the last eight, the last three places of the top 10, eighth, ninth, and 10th, I was ninth. Um, Patrick Regan was in eighth and uh, Kyle Petrari was in 10th. Uh, we all ran, we we're the only ones to go under six hours in the last from four still to finish that last 37 uh we ran 543 regan ran 548 and i think if i remember right uh kyle ran 551 and everyone else Ouch. ran more than six hours so we we Whoa. we're the only three to ever go under six hours on strava on that there's a strava segment so that's kind of how we can stack it up whoever's been on strava for a while and whoever's the only time you're really going to get that segment is during the race so because of the river crossing is in that segment so you're only going to be really compared against other people that have run the race so um that gives you kind of a perspective of how hard we are pushing um the last you know the last four 60k that's kind of reminiscent of Jim Howard's running down Jim King uh, on the old course years ago. Because Jim had a huge lead at, at Forest Hill, and little by little, Jim Howard closed him up, and, and they actually thought it was Jim King coming onto the track, and he literally passed him on the, that last hill on Finley going down into the track. 
Yeah, we were we were we were dropping down some serious times. I mean, I had luckily, you know, I had the confidence with all the races I've done and racing hard at Tarawara this year, and I've got you know multiple Western States top tens now and pushing hard and kind of knowing how to run that race and. Um, you know, I had the confidence to push hard and I knew I could go there and, uh, I'd, I'd had really good, I, I also had, had really good training in May and June with like t plenty of speed work and quality work and long, big multi, multi-day runs. So, you know, I, I definitely had really good confidence trainers, it, you know, moving up to that race. So it, uh, that also helps giving you some confidence in that last, you know, 20, 30 miles where you're pushing hard and you're like, how long can I do this? And, <laughs> you know, I, there was definitely times like Kyle and I duped it out for a long, long time um, where, you know, I caught him and then I passed him and then he didn't, he didn't really, I didn't really drop him. I dropped him a little and then he caught back up and then I dropped it. I surged and dropped him again. And then I couldn't see him, couldn't see him. And then he caught me a third time with at, at like pointed rocks with like six to go and uh and i surged again to drop him um so it was it was pretty intense it ended up being the last you know seven seventh through tenth we were a minute and 57 seconds apart um and wow. yeah three of us ninth eight sorry seventh eighth and ninth were on the track at the same time we were um, Regan was only 15 seconds behind seventh and I, he was closing and I was 35 seconds behind Regan and, um, and Kyle really was inside of that. You know, he was ended up being 45 seconds back, but he was like, or, or minute something back, but he was closer. He just ended up walking the straightaway with his kid because he had a, there was no 11th behind him. So he actually took the time to like pick his, pick his daughter up and carry her, you know, the whole last straightaway um, and walk it in. So it doesn't really even do justice. We're actually closer than a minute, 57 seconds apart. Um, all oh, of us. Wow. Uh, if so, he would have pushed hard to the finish, like well, the rest of us did. It'd be like a minute and a half or something like that. Yeah. It was, it was really, an, it was the most intense ending I've ever experienced. And then the whole time these guys are just hammering it. Me and my buddies are back being like, 50 miles can you believe those guys are done already it's crazy <laughs> yeah and, that, crazy. and that's kind of what i want to illustrate is how how you know jeff jeff gets it he's coaching people from at all levels and you know like i said you know a lot of times i hear from so many ultra runners well they, they put all the, the limelight on the people at the at the front and i, I know jeff is a big fan of people at the back like he said to give the shout out and, yeah um yeah, you know, we we you know talk talk to us about that a little bit more, uh, Mark, because you you ran you ran some pretty fast marathons. You run some nineteen hour hundreds, and like now now it's 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 a it's a pretty amazing journey, though. Yeah, but you know the thing that I think um, is the coolest thing about our sport is that you got guys like Jeff who are the best in the world at what they do, and they're at the finish line they're cheering us on they're 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 helping every single one of us uh with advice or coaching or i don't know just supporting us they don't jeff never comes off as somebody that's unapproachable or that's a, this elitist runner however he is but it's it's the culture that i think ultra running breeds is that regardless of 
the 36 hour runner or the 14, 15, 16 hour runner. Um, we all want each one of us to do their very best. And that's why I, that's why I'm attracted to it. It, it It's just amazing sport. Well, and like I, yeah, like I say, you know, it's, a, you know, running the hundred hundreds is like, it's life in a microcosm, right? You have the ups and lows and you get, you get there and, and all that. But, um, more than anything else. Oh shoot. I just lost my train of thought. Jeff, jump in there. <laughs> well, I was going to, I was going to say that the one thing I think that's really cool about ultras is that you can't cheat them. You can't, you can't just jump off, come off the sofa and like, Oh, I'm three weeks out or I'm six weeks out. I better start training. You have to put in the work. Every single one of us have to put in the work. Now, some of us put in more work than others. Some of us have been in the sport longer than others so that we can handle more work. But we all have to put in a, a, a fair amount of solid, honest work to get to the start line and intelligent work so we don't break ourselves down. Everybody's at a different place, right? Depending on what their background is and their training and, and how long they've been in the sport and their background in history and sport and doing other sports. But the, the, we all have to put in that work to get to the finish line. And then you have to actually have to execute on race day, meaning you can't make stupid mistakes. You can't experiment on race day. You can't like, it all has to come together to get to the finish line. That's why I think it's, it's just because you get to the start line doesn't mean you're going to get to the finish line. And I think that's what's cool about our sport, that it, it, it pays people who, it pays off for people who are really mentally tough. It also pays off people who are willing to put in the work. And I think that's what's cool about it. And I also love that, that what Mark points out is that, you know, I can win the race. And then at the end of the end of the race, I'm hanging out with the guy who comes in last, you know, and we all get to just hang out and tell our story and like tell our battle stories and, and laugh about it and maybe drink a beer and enjoy it. And I think that's what's cool about our sport. And that it's very rare in any other sport for like the, the top of the sport to be actually hanging out with the rest of the sport. You know, even look at the marathon, they get swept away, right? They come in, they get their own bullpen, they get their own warm up areas, they get finished and they get whipped, whisked away to media. And, you know, and you don't ever talk to them. You never rub elbows with those elites. Um, and any other sport is like that. So that's what I love about our sport. It's like, it's really cool and there's a community. And I think that's what, what ke- what's kept me coming back for almost 20 years. And the, the thing I, yeah, I remember, amazing. I remember the thought I had and, and, and this is it. It's, it's like, as everybody knows, when you're doing the, the big distances, the, the 50 milers, the hundred Ks, hundred milers, even beyond that, you know, yeah, you got to put in the work, but but every runner from somebody like Jeff Browning or Jim Walmsley, the first thing you got to do is run your race rather than, you know, it's not like a 5k where it's like who can out gut the other one. You know, you got the guy show on your shoulder and you know, the testosterone you're trying to push it, push to see who's going to win. It's like, like if you haven't dialed in your race by doing the training, doing the prep, you know, getting your head in shape so you're adaptable to whatever happens because the one thing you know is going to happen in 100 is something you don't expect. You know, if you don't run your race, whether you're at the front as an elite or somebody at the back, um, you're not going to be able to beat anybody else, you know, in terms of that, the competition. Yeah, true. I mean, that's – you have to run your own race, and everyone does. Every single person – I, and I think that's one one thing that's cool. I mean, I, when I got into the sport, I wasn't 
I didn't come at it from a being fast. I came at it from mountain biking perspective and I was just trying to figure these things out. So the first couple of years I was just running, you know, probably top 30%, but, um, you know, but I, I was kind of more that mid, mid to upper, upper half pack. And I, you know, there was a lot of times where there'd be this really cool camaraderie that comes along with running in that zone that, you know, people, you'd be struggling and people would be like, Hey, come on, get on my heel. Like, let's, let's get this thing done. You know, so people really like look out for each other in these, in this sport. And I think that's uh, a really cool thing, but also even in the front, you know, racing in the front, you can't run someone, you can't get caught up in someone else's race. I think you can race if you've, if you've run your own race up to a certain right. point, then you can get caught up in someone else's race and race. You know, we had to do that at Western States this year. Um, you know, but, <laughs> but you can't do that in the first half. But, and even when you're racing, if you haven't done, done everything you need to do to run your race, you're you're not going to be able to, you know, race with others, right? True, true. Now, and Mark, little thought that just kind of crossed my mind. I mean, one of the things that brought me to wanting to have this conversation with you and Jeff about the bear is, is that you know, you got Jeff who won it in 18 or 19 hours and change. And you got you that was coming in with the back rest of the back of the Packers in 36. For both of you, this is a huge win because this is your first, first run post chemo. And I mean, you're alive and you're actually from what you've told me in better shape than ever. Yeah, it definitely. Um, it's just letting me know that finishing that race that, I can pretty much overcome whatever I need to mentally to do the things I love to do. And I'm definitely lighter than I've been in, oh my gosh, 10, 12 years, 15 years. Um, I'm getting back into shape, but I've, I've been enjoying um, running with my friends, the casual running, um, putting in the work to be able to finish. But I'm, I want to elevate that uh, training and get back into where I can actually race and try to do my very best um, following my treatment and just with this new perspective and outlook on life. Cool. cool. All right. Anything um, you'd like to add, Jeff? And we'll close her down. People uh, out there, I think, should hopefully will get a lot out of this. No, I don't. I don't. Uh... I, I don't really have anything else to add besides, uh, you know, it, it, I, I guess one thing I would say is um, those out there that are on the fence, I'd say give it an honest try, OFM, and try to figure it out. It takes a little bit of time to figure it out. I mean, you know, giving it only doing it a month or three weeks isn't enough. You, you really have to commit to this thing for three or four months to really see the true benefit in it and the true change because it takes that long just to get – used to the lifestyle change and if you've been on a traditional diet and um and i think you really do see the benefit if you if you're willing to give it kind of give it that honest try you know it's kind of like ultras you can't can't get ready for a hundred miler in in four to six weeks you know you got to give it three or four or five months so um that's what i would encourage those out there on the fence to do and um you know, I know you help people with it, Peter, and I do too in my coaching. Yep. So anybody out there looking for some extra help and want want someone to kind of guide you through it, I know Peter or I would love to help you out. 
Yeah, we we geek out. And I think one of the things to go along with what you say is what, what I've seen with athletes is when they commit to it, they get the results. When they're kind of got one foot tepidly in and they're not sure because they still can't let go of those old thoughts, whether it's hardcore keto or hardcore high carb or, or whatever, the the results, they can get results, but a lot of times they'll get mixed results or or poor results, you know, and, and if you have, and if you have that doubt to begin with, it's just going to raise doubt. Absolutely. And some of the people I'm helping, you know, that are like that, that tend to be a little like, Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And they're not truly committed to it. Um, it takes longer because they're, they're kind of yep. in and out. And, um, but you know, we, we still, you know, usually by, you know, with the people I'm helping usually by three or four months in, they're like in the smooth rhythm and they really see the benefit. And I don't have very many people that go, oh, well, this is not working for me. I, I don't think I've even had that really happen to anyone who's really come to me and said, I want to make this change. Uh, I've never had anyone really want to go back. Once they, once they get a hold of it, they're like, it's an aha moment. And they're like, wow, this is totally a game changer. And especially if they're, in their, if they're over 40. If they're over 40, they really see it see a big difference. Yeah, yeah, you can get away with, you know, as we all know, we can get away with a lot of stuff in our 20s and 30s. Totally. <laughs> Mark, you know that. I am, Peter. Yeah, and you know the thing that I feel is that I think for the general public, the general runner, the the normal father, employed, working two jobs, taking care of things outside of um, just being able to focus and being an elite runner like Jeff, it actually, it works and it can work for anybody, whether you're the best in the world or you're just wanting to finish the hundred miler, you feel better, you look better. And you, I mean, it's, you can't, you can't compare yourself to Jeff cause I'll never be able to run the way he runs. But for me, yeah, I can be a better self, um, through using this product and that's what I've found and that's why I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And what, one of the things, uh, and Jeff, I've shared this with you, but, um, you know, it, this is a big, uh, leap of faith for a lot of people because, you know, there's so much science built up on like keto and high carb and, you know, there's advantages to keto in terms of health, but you won't get the performance. There's advantages to high carb, which we know we, we, we all know, but you know, that's why we use strategic carbs. But there's not a lot of evidence except that except that people like Jeff Browning are winning races on it at 47. Are you 48 now? 48. 48. Yeah, 48 and winning races. Um, but that seems to not be enough. Everybody wants data. And, and I've shared with this with Jeff, but Mark, I haven't shared it with you and we'll share it with the audience. But we are beginning to start to develop. Uh, some some real data, as Jeff knows, there's some unpublished data out there yeah. uh, that he's been involved with that shows that Vespa definitely does have efficacy, and combined with OFM, it's even stronger. And um, we've just got some pilot data that we've put out there publicly, and and that pilot data is so was so consistent and convincing that the researcher who took it is actually initiate a formal study for peer-reviewed submission and publication. Um, and the data is going to start, the data collection is going to start this December on a bunch of cyclists. And it's going to be a big, robust data set. Um, in the meantime, we're going to get some other data out there. I'm going to 
you know, contact Edric and see if he can get a, a student to do a case study on, on your test up there in Logan. And we'll get you out to do some more testing, you know, here in the next few months. Yeah, now that I'm back, now that I moved to Bozeman, we might have to hit MS Montana State up too, um, for some, yeah, well, for some yeah. testing there. Yeah, well, and you you know what happened when we did that testing at Logan? Those those <laughs> yeah, other let's go, professors. Let's go blow some in. more professors' minds. Yeah, I know this isn't supposed to happen. <laughs> yeah, we have to rewrite our textbooks. That was a quote. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're, yeah. We, we we've never seen this data before. Um, that was pretty cool. Uh, it, yeah, it's been pretty fun to be involved in some of the testing. You know, in the last two years, I've I've tested at Goo Energy Labs in Berkeley at sea level, and then I've t tested at for the audience just to give a quick background. Um, we've tested some, did some more um, tests in uh, at Utah State at forty seven hundred feet, so at altitude, um, and seeing what my you know what my fat burn rate is, and it's a you know it's an n equals one test. It's it's tested on me so far. We've been playing around with it, but. Um, it's been pretty cool to see no different numbers and different altitudes um, and with different products. So we've, we've tried everything from, you know, straight gels to, to ketone esters to Vespa. And uh, we've seen some really cool numbers on Vespa. And it definitely encouraged me personally to uh, say, wow, this product works and I'm going to keep using it um, because there is an efficacy there. And, um, and so the data backs it up at least for use on me. And I pass that along to all my athletes that are OFM that being like, Hey, Vespa definitely has a place in your strategy from a nutritional standpoint. Um, especially when you're racing and, and, uh, and I, and I have to say, I use it in training as well. I use it for like days when I'm not going to do any calories and I'm just going to do a little salt and water, um, on say a two or two and a half hour run or a hard run where I'm going to do really high intensity. Um, that's the days I'll use Vespa. So, um, it's been a, it's been pretty cool and eye opening to have some data to back this stuff up. Yeah. Now, now here's what something like with my thing. We're we're going to develop the Vespa, the data on Vespa. We're also going to try to develop some. It's going to open up some doors for developing data on on OFM, the various aspects of OFM. Yep. Um, but one of the things I want to sort of point out to the audience is Jeff, Mark, you guys are are experiencing it and and neither one of you need uh, a study to tell you that Vespa works for you. Right. Right. It's just, it's just that the Absolutely. data, the data actually um, backs up and corresponds to what you're experiencing. Well, it, I think one thing to say, to put out there is one thing that can, I always had. And, and, and if you look at like, you know, studies, especially on like neuroscience and, and that kind of stuff in the brain that, that the, the power of, uh, um, the placebo, the placebo effect. effect is, can be really strong. So if you think it's working, it can work for you. But one thing that I, I think has been cool, but having multiple tests on Vespa now, um, that it actually cha it changes numbers. And I see that burn fat burn rate go up. And, um, you know, I think that's, uh, been a pretty cool, it's cool to have the data now, just a little bit of data on my end, just on me personally, just to all of a sudden go, okay, yeah, this is definitely working and it's doing what it says it's going to do. And, you know, but it backs up, it backs up your experience is what I'm trying to point yeah, out. Yeah. And I felt, and I, you know, Jesse Haynes and I used to talk about this all the time. Like, yeah, I think it's working. I feel like it's working. Like, I, you know, I, but you don't have any data to back it up. So you're like, yeah, I, yeah, I think it's working. Like, I feel different. 
you know, because I've for, I've forgotten it before. You know, during during Western States one year, I forgot it through the first 50k, and then got it with my crew at at, at, at Robinson Flat, and so I I didn't feel quite on until I had it, and then and so I after that I always questioned like, well, was that placebo or was it? But then I like after we've done this multiple tests now, I was like, yeah, there's something to it. That's why I didn't feel on. Um, yeah, you know, because it well, definitely kicks your fat burning up a little bit. Yeah, well, the other the cool thing that came out of this pilot data, and it's it's in the data you took at Logan State, is it not only um, increases the fat oxidation, but it increases your VO2 max, and probably you not so much, but they also saw ventilatory threshold. Um, that's breathing rate. Yeah. And so with these three cyclists, one cyclist, he, they all got increases in fat oxidation, VO2 max. And one guy, it didn't increase his ventilatory threshold, but the guy was already an aerobic. He's a pro mountain biker and really aerobically fit. And so his ventilatory threshold didn't go up, but the other two, it, it boosted their ventilatory threshold too. So the VO2 max, that's huge. And like um, Dr. Marks, who took the data, and he's the researcher doing this data, he said, he said there's no supplement that does this. This is crazy. And he said, why, why didn't anybody study it before? And I said, I've tried to get you know, Jeff Volokter study this for years. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, <laughs> just to see that data of VO2 max going up and be able to push a little harder in tests, in like intensity tests at the top end, at the very end of the, of the, of the test. Um, and they're pretty intense tests, you know, uphill, yep. keep kicking the, the grade up on the treadmill and going faster and keeping the same pace, but like keep, keep kicking up the incline until you basically are hitting the max. Um, been pretty cool to see that data. And then also it's, it's really good because there's something mental, like we've talked about the mental game of ultra running and, and the, there's something about like once I've been tested and know that I, it does something that, you have that confidence during a race too. So there is a placebo effect as well on top of that, because you have this confidence behind it when you do, when you're using the product, when you're, you, when you're in that race and you're like, I can go there I, and, and I can go harder than this dude. So, cause I know what he's using and he's not using Vespa and I'm, I am. Um, so I think there, there is a confidence behind it too. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, you want to add to that because you've had, you know, you've had a lot of experience running and, and, you know, in the last six months you've been, been on the Vespa and the OFM program. The thing that I love is that, um, not so much pushing myself or knowing that I have this backup or ability to run harder, how Jeff just described. I just don't have to eat the calories and I know that I'm not going to need them. And so that drives me to continue to maintain the pace throughout the entire race. It's effing crazy. Yeah. Well, Jeff, Jeff used to suffer that too. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I used to have a decent, I used to have some GI stress. I mean, I have a pretty tough gut. If you looked at like the historically, like how many gels I could consume during a race back at when I was a high carb athlete, I could, I'd take 65 to 70 gels during a hundred. Um, oh God. Oh, what? Oh man. <laughs> yeah. You could, you couldn't till you couldn't, right? Yeah. I mean, I took gels the whole time and there's a few times I puked and a few times, you know, I have multiple pit stops. But when I look back now, I'm like, I can't believe I did that. But <laughs> you, you know, it was crazy. Um, 
but I do like, you know, now I go on half the calories I used to go on. Um, you know, so if we're talking 65, 70 gels, right. During a race, that's like 6,500, 7,000 calories. Now I go on less than 4,000 calories during a hundred. If it's, you know, if it's 20 hours, if it's something like Western States, I'm going even less. So, um, you know, in a, in a 16, 16 hour hundred, I'm probably doing more like 3000 calories or less. So, um, it's pretty amazing. That's elite race. That's, that's elite racing level. Yeah. And that's running and that's running hard too. And some, and some parts of the race, but I just, I don't have to do very much. And in training, I can go on very, very little, um, as far as calories go, you know, um, it's just, it's pretty cool. That's true. During the bear, even with all of the in-station grazing that I did, I'm pretty confident that over the race, throughout my entire 34 and a half hours, I don't think I even consumed a thousand calories. Now, I'm not burning them like Jeff is, and I'm certainly not putting out the same amount of effort like Jeff does. However, with that fuel calories, it just means that I'm tapping into my fat and burning my fat for fuel, and that just shocks me. That's what's really yeah, yeah. cool about like when you're going at a lower lower output like you were doing, Mark. It it is amazing how little calories you can go on when you're a fat adapted like this. I mean, it is it's kind of insane when you say that number. Like, hey, I was just out for 34 and a half hours and I only consumed a thousand calories or something. I mean, that's just insane that statement. Um, I think that's what's really cool about this. Yeah, but you you know you know that's possible, Jeff, because you probably do that sort of similar thing on your long training runs. Oh yeah, I go I go really low on my training runs. I just did one yesterday. I did three uh, about three hours with forty four hundred feet of climbing with three inches of snow on the ground. Um, with on I went on a hundred. I went on a Vespa before, and then. 100 I did 100 calories 125 calories from Gurocktane over that 3 hours that's it 100 calories so and that was like running like you know I was running on and off most of the climbs so it was like you know I'm running at 7 6 to 7000 feet altitude and trying to run as much of the climbs as I can unless it's super steep and then I'm power hiking hard so it was more like race effort um in that 3 hour run so you know, it was, it wasn't like, I wasn't lollygagging around in that training run. Um, so, you know, that just shows you like, I, I went on 100 calories total for three hours, you know, and that's running at a higher output. So um, pretty cool that you can kind of do that. Today I did on no calories fasted this morning. I just had a little bit of bulletproof coffee. Um, so I did a bulletproof fast this morning and went out for another couple hours this morning and no calories at all just salt and water um and that's it yeah beautiful all right well this has been a really engaging conversation thanks for the kudos from both of you guys uh and um for the audience uh, jeff are you taking on any more coaching clients i am at the moment we are kind of in that like late season where some people take some breaks so i have a few slots available for two going into two, beginning of 2020 right now um so you can check me out at gobroncobilly.com slash coaching yep we'll get that link up and then of course at ofm we do we do some coaching and 
and uh, some consults too. Um, and of course, um, Mark, anything you want to contribute before we close out? I just love to have made this connection now with Jeff and you, Peter, because, um, yeah, I think I'm going to try to continue to tap into the valuable resources that I view you both as. I know your willingness to help me, as a matter of fact, help all of us. And so I just appreciate having developed this relationship. Well, dude, I'm trying to change the world here because, as you guys all know, that we, we it's, it's gotten we humans have gotten it really wrong, and we gotta we gotta take it back. Yeah, totally. Uh, we gotta take it back, man. Get away from monoculture. Yeah, monoculture. This whole idea that you need to be pushing carbs like crazy. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting things out there on the internet, and like I said in in a, a recent. Uh, blog post that you know the road to hell is paved with good intentions and I, I i do honestly believe everybody's intending well but gosh it's it's just like you know like i say my touchstone is always looking at nature and natural systems and what were those evolutionary pressures that shaped us as humans and you know you two guys are like prime examples of what it's like once you get your bodies back to that evolutionary heritage where we're meant to burn or you know fat is our aerobic energy yeah you know what's I, I really interesting to me peter one last side note um you know i've kind of been playing around with um from time to time some carnivore stuff too um on top of keto and um i find it really interesting and and some intermittent fasting and fasting and i and i'm finding it really interesting you know when i was a car high carb athlete i could never even fathom fasting really and now i can i can see how people could have gone for three or four days or a week without food before they could get a food source again, you know, in certain times of lean because your body would just, you know, tap into fat for a while and that how that was part of our seasonal eating pattern, right? When we didn't have, yeah. you know, carbohydrates around, we only had carbohydrates around for maybe a couple of months of the year and the rest of the time we didn't. And, and I can see how you could go by on, Oh, I'm only going to get by on one meal a day right now. And I'm going to eat a lot at that one meal. And that's all I'm going to eat today. And then, and then go on about your day and be fine and, and not, and actually be able to go and, you know, hunt and gather and perform the duties you need to do and think straight. So I think that's, what's really interesting about this is that it actually kind of gives you that, it gives you that kind of peek into where our ancestors and where humans yep. came from. And, 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 and it just makes sense, right? It's kind of primal and, and it makes sense. And when you really like, dig down and think about it and see how this works. And when you tinker with it for, especially now that I've been doing it for almost four years, like I really see like how we as this humans, is how it's meant to be. It's yeah. how it's meant to be. And, you know, and, and the cool thing is, is we can still, we can manipulate it and still use it, use those carbohydrates strategically to really get the performance that we're looking for. But when we can still, kind of eat the way our we're kind of wired and genetically coded to because of our ancestors and our and the human where the human races come from and and then we can have good health so we can have good health by eating that way but then we can use those strategic carbs in ultra running or whatever sport you're doing and really get the performance benefit of the carbohydrate so i think there's a that's what that's really what ofm is is strategic use of carbohydrates and then optimizing that fat metabolism by kind of eating the way our ancestors did and kind of mirroring that. So it's pretty cool. It's a cool, cool trip to be on. I'm glad I came across it and stumbled into it and our paths crossed. And 
um, it's been a cool journey for sure. Yeah, Mark, and you're on it too now. So, you know, it's, it's as I say, you know, for most of human existence, we ate concentrated forms of carbohydrates three to five times a year, you know, when berries are ripe or tubers are ripe or we found honey or whatever. We didn't eat them for three to five times a day for decades, nope. <laughs> you know, which is, and, 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 and I'm also like, I'm also not really, my thinking you know, thinking about this whole anthropology, you know, we, we essentially traded a big gut for a big brain and it was animal products that allowed us to do that. Um, and, and so thinking about how we humans are real successful, it was realizing that if we followed the ruminant herds, you know, the big herds of ruminants, whether it was cattle or antelope or deer or, or elk or bison or elephants, we always had that constant food source, right? And it, it's, but we all we also had to go out and kill it, which which entailed some pretty good physicality. And 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 like part of that peak, Jeff, is what you do, what Mark does, what I tr- try to do here on occasion. I've done two hundreds, done, but but it's being on our feet all day, and that's the other side of that peak is how good you feel on so little. And, you know, when I talk, tell people about a cleanse, the best cleanse you can go on is is not just to fast, but to fast and go out for a long run because that's really cleaning your system out. And yeah. You guys probably all, you probably both know that from your experience as old-time conventional ultra runners. And now, you know, going out on a long fasted run and three or four hours into it, you just feel like really good and clean. Whereas, you know, if you're sucking down gels and nutrition and trying to keep up with it, you just feel like kind of crappy the whole time. Yeah, totally. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's what we're trying to do. Just get it back. So, all right. Um, thanks very much. Uh, go Bronco Billy, uh, Jeff Browning and, um, Mark Sanderson. Uh, like I said, you know, this bear was a huge win for both of you guys and uh, wishing y'all a lot of luck in the future. And uh, what's your next race, uh, Mark? Um, yeah, I'm actually signed up to run across the years at the end of December. I signed up for the six day race. And so I'm going to be tapping into your brain here in the next couple of weeks just to get ready to see how many miles I can actually turn on that 1.05 mile track. Yeah, you just you just did a you just did a Grand Canyon run, didn't you? Yeah, we did a South Rim, North Rim, back to South Rim. It was fun. It was a slow go because I took a lot of pictures, but it was beautiful. And again, like I said, I felt <laughs> great. Very few calories, and out running the following Monday. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And Jeff, what do you got going for next year besides Western States and Hard Rock? Western States, Hard Rock Double. Um, I'm still figuring out what my schedule is going to be next year. Um, probably a couple other hundreds on there. Um, and I'm looking at a couple of big self-supported adventure runs, too, that I probably will um, kind of get get put something big together with a couple of buddies. So, is that with Jesse? Uh, no, it's, it's probably going to be with, uh, Mike Wolf, who's here in Bozeman, a good friend of mine. And, um, uh, we're going to probably try to put something together up here in Montana. Um, some kind of big adventure run and link up and, um, to be determined. I'm still, I still haven't sat down. I haven't, I'm still trying to get ready for this last hundred of the year. So after that, I'll sit down and try to figure out my 2020 exactly. All I, all I know, uh, is that I'm doing... Western States and Hard Rock for sure. I'm already in those, but 
Um, other than that, I'm I'm still trying to figure it out. But I will I will soon because I don't, I want to make sure I get in everything. Okay, and Jen Jen's got the house all nailed down, and the kids are climbing, and everything else is good. Yeah, everything. What's else, Abraham doing? Abraham's gonna go out for Nordic season this year, so I got to get that oh. kid moving, man. He's like wild man. He's like I can't sit still. I bought him a punching bag. He's got a mini tramp, so he can tr do a trampoline. He's been on the treadmill. Um, he's and he's gonna go out for Nordic season, and then I might I might even put him on an indoor track this year because the track club here, the kids track club, has an indoor season be, that they run at Montana State, um, out of Montana State, and so I may do something with that because that kid lo loves to run too. So well, you're gonna do some schemo or some cross country cross training this winter, aren't you? Oh yeah, I'm gonna shift. I'm gonna shift to skiing mainly. Well, probably three days a week at least. Um, I'm taking up skate skiing this year. I've always wanted to do that. I know how to Nordic ski, regular classic ski, but I'm going to take up skate skiing this winter. And then I'm also going to do some backcountry skiing and some, some schema. There's a local schema like midweek race that goes on here for some locals. I'll probably jump in that too. Um, just for some extra training. Uh, I'll shift to that after this last hundred, you know, around Thanksgiving, it's, 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 it's ski season here. So I'll be on, I'll be on two planks. Well, that'll be wonderful because I know my friend Bruce LaBelle, who was one of the top Western States runners in the early 80s, he, that's what all he did all winter was, was Nordic ski. And it, you know, it just builds your aerobic engine to new levels, right? Yeah, totally. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited. I've done a ton of research, so I know exactly what I want gear wise. I just have to buy it for myself. It's going to be an early Christmas present to Santa Claus is coming <laughs> early. <laughs> all right. All right, cool. All right, guys. Well, thanks very much. Uh, I'll try and get Austin Tweetmeyer to turn this around as quickly as, as we can. And uh, let's push it out there because I think a lot of people will find this useful because, you know, as I say, not often we get to have a chance to talk about what it's like to, to view a race from the front of the pack all the way to the very back. Cool. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Mark. All right, guys. Good night. You are listening to Food for Thought, the OFM podcast, sponsored by Vespa.